third and final week in our series called The End. And I'm going to give you a heads up, actually, next week we're going to talk about how do you live in response to all of these end time things that we've been looking about. Uh, you know, if Jesus Christ is coming back, well, what does that mean to me and how should I live in light of it? Uh, but today we're going to cover the entire book of Revelation in 30 minutes. And uh, I think that's possible. So uh, how many of you would say that uh, for you the book of Revelation is intriguing but confusing? Uh, you know, it's exciting, uh, sometimes scary. I mean, the book of Revelation has weird, uh, even crazy stuff in it. I mean, there's dragons and multiple-headed beasts and there's 666 and all sorts of numbers and symbols. There's 12 stars and 10 horns and 7 heads and 6 wings and 4 bowls and 2 olive trees and a partridge and a pear tree. I mean, it's just got everything in there. But people try to read the book of Revelation and uh, they get confused or they may even get scared and creeped out. But the problem is they don't know how to read it. Because if you don't know how to read it, uh, that's what it'll do to you. But if you do know how to read it, actually it will increase your faith. I mean, God gives us the revelation of Jesus Christ not to scare us, but to lay out for us what's to come so we won't be afraid. And instead, uh, we, we can, instead of fear, we can have faith and hope. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to be excited about the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. I said earlier this year that, that a revelation is a revealing. It's an unveiling. It exposes to us something that we haven't been able to see before. And so I want to help you read the book of Revelation in a way that will build your faith. Uh, today we're going to give you a little bit of the backstory behind the book and then we're just going to break it down into a way that you can understand it as you read it. Uh, Revelation was written by the Apostle John. Uh, John was the last living of the original ten, uh, 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, Judas, who betrayed him, immediately went out and hanged himself and so now there's 11. And then the other ten, besides John, they all died a death of martyrs. And so for those of you who are skeptical about Christianity, that's one of the interesting things you have to deal with, is these ten guys were willing to lay down their lives because they believed the gospel was true. I mean, will people die for a hoax? Uh, you know, these guys uh, died the death of martyrs, horrible deaths, because they knew it was true. And eventually John is the only one who's left living. It's about 60 years after the resurrection of Christ, about 95 A.D., and the Roman emperor announced that he says, I want everybody to worship me, not just as Caesar, I want you to worship me as God. And John said, you know, I've seen the Lord and you're not him. And so I am not doing that. So he was exiled. He was made a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos, an island in the Mediterranean Sea. And to this day, you can go and visit the Isle of Patmos and see the cave where John was held and where John had this vision of the Revelation. Uh, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to John on Patmos and gave him uh, this revelation. Now today what I want to do for you is I want to break the book of Revelation down into five specific sections. And then I want to encourage you to read the whole book yourself later. You can read it later today. Uh, it'll take you 45 minutes or less to read the whole thing. Just sit down and read through it. Uh, because uh, if you break it up into these five sections, uh, it'll help you to understand it. And what we want to do is we want to focus on who Jesus Christ is in each one of these sections. 
Because remember, the name of the book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we think that the, uh, the book is all about future events or it's all about the Antichrist. But that's not what it's about. It is about Jesus Christ. And when you read this book in light of who Jesus Christ is, it doesn't make you afraid. It doesn't creep you out. It becomes less confusing. It builds your faith. So we're going to dive into, into uh, section number one, uh, chapters one through three. As you read through this first section, uh, you'll discover that uh, Jesus has given to John seven letters for seven churches in Asia Minor. Uh, Jesus has given uh, these seven letters to seven churches. Now, the picture that we find of Jesus in these first three chapters is that he is the Alpha and the Omega. In Revelation 1-7, John has the vision and it says, Look, he, Jesus, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Now, this is not the first return of Jesus that we talked about in the first week of this series. You know, when Christ comes back with that return, you know, unbelievers don't even know for sure what's happened. But it says, at the second coming of Christ... Every eye will see him. And the first time Christ comes back for his church, this time he's coming back with his church. You know, the clouds that he's coming in, that's us. That's us in our white robes, in our glory, coming back with him. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And it goes on, I am the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus says, the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. If he was doing this in English, he would have said, look folks, I am A to Z. I mean, it, it is all me. Christ was there before the beginning of the world, Christ will be there after the end of the world, from beginning to end, first to last, Jesus Christ is it. Now, as a Christian, that is not something to be afraid of. That's something we can take comfort in. It goes on in, in verse 14. John describes Jesus as his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. Now as you read through Revelation, you have to be careful not to take everything literally. You've got to look for the symbolism. And often the symbolism is explained right in the book of Revelation. Because a little bit later John tells us that these seven stars that Jesus holds in his hands are the seven angels of the seven churches that Jesus wrote the seven letters to uh, in this chapter. Uh, in his hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. Well, what's the, the double-edged sword coming out of his mouth? Well, according to the book of Hebrews, it's the Word of God. The Word of God is described as a two-edged sword that, that is, is able to cut down to, the, to bone and marrow. So out of his mouth comes the Word of God. That's a theme we're going to see over and over again as you read through Revelation. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now this is interesting because John was known as the beloved disciple. John was Jesus' favorite. And we know that because that's what John tells us in John's gospel. John says, I was Jesus' favorite. Okay? 
Now, uh, Jesus loved them all, but seriously, he had a special love uh, for the Apostle John. Uh, John is the friend that Jesus gave his mother to to care for uh, after he died on the cross. Christ is hanging on the cross. He looks down to John and says, please take care of my mother Mary. That's how close John and Jesus were. Yet when Jesus returns, John doesn't see him as a friend or buddy. John sees Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, and in the presence of Jesus, the first and the last, John falls on his face in awe, in worship, as if he were dead. What does Jesus do? Then he placed his right hand on John and said, as angels have said all the way through Scripture, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. And here, here's the gospel that we see over and over again through the book of Revelation. Jesus says, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now, Hades is the Greek word for the grave. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I hold the keys over death and the grave. That's who Jesus is. You see Jesus in Revelation, it'll build your faith. Okay, he's the Alpha and the Omega. Second section. Uh, Chapters 4 and 5, Jesus is the Lamb of God. 28 times in Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. And he is the Lamb of God who is worthy to open the scroll. Now, what does that mean? Well, you're going to read it for yourself in chapters 4 and 5, and you're going to see that God is seated on the throne, and God is holding this great scroll. And the scroll is sealed with seven seals. And this scroll is like the last will and testament. It's the final declaration. It's the plan of all that is to come. Everything that's to happen to the earth and the people on it. And John wants to see, all the angels want to see, what's in that scroll? But to look inside that scroll, you have to break the seals. Now, a written document that was sealed in that way, you have to have the authority to open the scroll. Just anybody can't open that scroll and break those seals. You've got to have authority. You must be worthy to open the scroll. And so an angel says, who is worthy to open up this scroll? And they look all over heaven, and they can't find anybody who has the authority, anyone who is worthy to open that scroll. And John is so disappointed that he's not going to get to see this revelation. And he freaks out. Panic actually starts to cry. He's sobbing because they can't find anybody who is worthy to open the scroll. And then suddenly, in Revelation 5, 6, he says, Then I saw a lamb, that's Jesus, looking as if it had been slain. He sees the slaughtered lamb. Remember, Christ was the lamb. He, he was uh, slain, poured out his blood for the forgiveness of our sins on the cross. And John sees this lamb standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders, and they sang a new song to Jesus, the Lamb of God. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. And here's the gospel again. Because you, Lamb of God, you, Jesus, were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And that would have been a powerfully, uh, uh, incredibly uh, awesome image for John's readers. Uh, they would have remembered that John the Baptist, different John, John the Baptist, when he saw, first saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Uh, they would have thought back in that culture all the way back to, to, to the temple system and, and how it, when you came to the temple, you had to bring a lamb to sacrifice it to cover for your sins. And that has its roots clear back at the beginning of the nation of Israel, back on the night when they were fleeing out of Egypt. And God was going to send a death angel to move over the land of Egypt and the, uh, the firstborn in every household was going to die. But God told the Jews that if they would take a lamb and they would sacrifice that lamb and smear its blood on the lintel and the doorpost over their, house, their, their door, the death angel would pass over their house and everyone would live. You know, when their doors were covered with the blood, the angel would pass over and they would be spared. All the way back in the Old Testament, we have a foreshadowing of the New Testament and Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. And when John says, I saw the Lamb of God who was worthy to open up the scrolls, there, there is this sense of hope that fills heaven. They are rejoicing. Yes, you are worthy to do this. Who is Christ in Revelation? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Lamb of God. A third section, and, and this is where it gets crazy. This is a big chunk, chapters 6 through 18. And, and here comes the stuff about the mark of the beast, 666, uh, the Antichrist. I mean, if you want to have crazy dreams all night, read Revelation 6 through 18 right before you go to bed. But who is Jesus in Revelation 6 through 18? Well, if you're taking notes, Jesus is the righteous judge. Uh, now, let me give you some high points out of this section. One of the high points is in Revelation 11, and it talks about the fact that the temple in Israel, in Jerusalem, is rebuilt. Now, what's amazing about that is, is that right now, in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, there is a Muslim mosque. Uh, the Dome of the Rock uh, is right there, and it's one of the most holy sites in all of Islam. But Revelation tells us that the Jewish temple is going to be rebuilt there. So amazing things are going to have to happen at some point to get that mosque out of there and get the temple rebuilt. Uh, Revelation 13 through 16, this is where the Antichrist comes to power and he institutes the mark of the beast where you can't buy or sell or do anything. The government tracks everything you do. They control your life, try to do everything, uh, keep track of everything that you do. Now the word Antichrist does not appear in Revelation. Uh, in Revelation, it's the word the beast, and that's synonymous with the Antichrist. John uses the word Antichrist, but he uses it in, in his other writings. But the, the beast, the Antichrist, is this evil one-world dictator. And if you read carefully through, uh, through Revelation, you'll see that it describes a woman giving birth to the beast. Now, some of you ladies would say, well, you know, I've done that three, four times. Okay? <laughs> but not this kind of beast. Okay, this is a different beast. Uh, in Revelation 13, uh, the Antichrist uh, is killed and raised back to life. Uh, he, he has a head wound and then uh, supposedly dies and then comes back to life. He imitates the death and resurrection of Christ in order to get people to follow him. Uh, in Revelation 11, uh, God appoints two witnesses to perform miracles and to preach the gospel. And uh, these witnesses are persecuted, they're eventually martyred, they're left dead in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. Uh, their bodies just lay in the street, people walk by and mock and gawk at them and celebrate their death, and then God raises these guys from the dead. 
And you've got to read about these two witnesses. I mean, these guys are awesome. They can shut up the heavens so that it doesn't rain. They can issue any kind of plague, any place, any time on earth. And if somebody comes against them and wants to kill them, uh, they have this really cool defense mechanism that they use. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, so you'll have to read about it for yourself. But you want to read about the two witnesses in Revelation 11. And then in Revelation 17, the Antichrist begins to consolidate his power and he starts to assassinate other world leaders and he moves us toward a one world government. Now all this political turmoil that you see in our day, all this posturing that you see in the world today and the attempt on the part of the state to move in and take control of your life, to invade every area of your life, to track your every movement, to control you, all this technology stuff. Folks, this is all end time stuff. This is all stuff that is setting the scene for a one world government with this antichrist dictator assuming total control of the world. Now in Revelation 16, uh, the beast, the antichrist, mobilizes all the armies of the world to move against the nation of Israel. And the Bible describes just these massive armies moving in from the north and the east and the south and they're just all converging on the nation of Israel. And then it turns from a a material worldly war to a spiritual war. It becomes a war against God. And Jesus Christ returns with the host of heaven just in the nick of time to save the nation of Israel and to defeat the Antichrist at the Battle of Armageddon. But as you read through all these events, as you read through Revelation 6 through 18, you need to see Jesus as the righteous judge. And he issues three different types of judgments upon the earth. And this is amazing stuff. First one is the seal judgments. There's a series of judgments where the four horsemen of the apocalypse are unleashed on the earth. And you'll see the moon turn blood red. You'll see bloodshed from war. About a quarter of the world's population dies from famine and plagues and wild beasts. Second set of judgments are the trumpet judgments. And there is hail and fire mixed with blood that fall from the sky. There are are these poisonous locusts that sting people and they die. And I got to tell you, honestly, for me, that's that's some of the creepiest stuff because, I mean, locusts are creepy. I mean, you know, those little shell things they leave in the yard. I mean, those are just, aren't those just creepy? I mean, personally, I think they're evil. I mean, those things are just, oh. And the only thing worse than locusts is possums. (laughs) Ugh. I mean, people ask me, you know, where their pets be in heaven? And I think, I don't know if there are poodles in heaven, but I know there are possums in hell. <laughs> you know, it's one of my evangelistic tools. You don't want to go to hell, there are possums there. And they just, ugh. A third of the vegetation is destroyed, a third of the water is contaminated, a third of the sea creatures die, a third of the light is lost, the earth is, is dim, a third of the world dies. I mean, this is a horrible, horrible time. Third set of judgments, these are the bowl judgments. And people get sores, the people who receive the mark of the beast get these horrible sores on their body. The water turns to blood, Uh, everything in the water dies. Uh, The sun burns with a fervent heat and it starts to scorch people, it's so hot. Uh, There's these devastating earthquakes, I mean the earth itself is being rent apart. Hundred pound hailstones fall from the sky. You know, if you're like a lot of people, you read through this stuff and you think, I don't like this part. I don't, I don't like this. This is serious stuff. I mean, this is killing uh, a lot of people. And you read through this and you think, man, this just is not fair. Th- this isn't like the God that, that, that I worship. This isn't like the God that, 
loves me and that I love. If you missed last week, I just want to cover again a really important principle about this that's not fair idea. And last week I asked, you know, how many of you know someone who did something horrible and they weren't punished? There was no penalty, there was no restitution, no consequences for them. You know, they hurt someone, they did something horrible, and they didn't have to pay for it. They got away with it. Whenever that happens, what do we say? That's not fair. Because we understand, even as humans, that, that you know, wrong needs to be paid for. It needs to be made right. Well, this is the time in history when God is dealing with all the unforgiven sin. And God knew that, that we'd be skeptical and, and we'd ask, is this really fair? And so an angel affirms it for John in Revelation 16.5. It says, then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Jesus, the righteous judge, you are just in these judgments. You who are and who were the Holy One because you have so judged. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He's the Lamb of God. He is the righteous judge. And then in the next section, chapters 19 through 20, Jesus is the King of Kings. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, Revelation 19:11. I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. Remember John started out his gospel with saying, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, His name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following Him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of His mouth comes a sharp sword. Again, it's the Word of God. With which to strike down the nations. He will strike them down just with the Word of God coming out of His mouth. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know how when, when you see someone famous or someone does something heroic, and, and when that happens, uh, it's just part of human nature that we want to somehow lay claim to that. We, we somehow want to attach ourselves to uh, that person in some way. Uh, you know, we, we all uh, want to have a brush with greatness. Uh, you know, Tate Stevens is from my hometown. Or, or, you know, I used to go to school with that, with that athlete that's playing in one of the playoff games. Or, or, you know, John Wayne was born in a town not far from where I was born. Okay? Uh, aren't you impressed? And, uh, you know, somehow we, we want to get close to that famous person. We, we, we want to attach ourselves in that. Well, when you read in Revelation and you see who Jesus is, we have a desire to get in on that. And when we see Christ coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you know what? We are in on that. We are in on that. We can say, that's my King. That's my Lord. That's my team. He's on my side. He's my Savior. I'm His friend. I am co-heir with Jesus Christ. I am part of the body of Christ. I am part of the bride of Christ. 
You know, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Lamb of God. He's the righteous judge. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Last section, we see that Jesus is the bridegroom and we are the bride. We are the bride of Christ. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come and I will show you the bride. That's the church. That's those of us who are Christians. It says, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Jesus is the bridegroom. He comes back for his bride and he takes us to the new heaven and the new earth. And we looked last week, there is no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain there. This new heaven, new earth, doesn't even need the sun or the moon. It says the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom coming back for his bride, and we are the bride. We are the bride of Christ. And what does the bride say? It says the spirit and the bride say, Come! Come! And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. The spirit and the bride say, come. All you who are thirsty, those of you who are spiritually parched and thirsty, you are searching for something and you know it. All your life you have been searching for something, for some place, for someone that would fill the emptiness inside of you. And Jesus Christ is that someone. And you are invited, the Spirit says, come, whoever you are, wherever you are, taste this living water that flows from Christ, and you will never thirst again. And you may say, oh, I I can't come, Uh, I'm not good enough. The Spirit says, no, 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 come, come, uh, just as you are. There is grace, there is mercy, there is forgiveness for all. Just come and receive it. And then it says, Jesus, who testifies to these things, says, yes, I am coming soon. I mean, Maranatha, folks. Jesus is coming soon. And what, is, what do we say in response? We say, come, Lord Jesus, quickly come. And then how's the book of Revelation ends? It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. That's why when you read through the book of Revelation, when you read it in light of who Jesus is, if you're a Christian, you don't need to be afraid about his coming. You don't need to be afraid of these events that are going to unfold before us because Jesus Christ is the Alpha and Omega. Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ is the righteous judge. He is the King of kings. He's the bridegroom coming for his bride. May the grace of of God be with God's people forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this unveiling of who Jesus Christ is, and I just pray for each of us that we would have a clear picture of Christ. Maybe you're here today and and you've never seen Christ in this light. Maybe you've never opened your heart and life to Jesus. And so you've had this spiritual hunger, this spiritual thirst. You have been searching somewhere, someplace, for someone to fill it. I want to tell you today, out of the testimony based on the authority of the Word of God, on on the testimony of my own experience and the experience of, of billions of other believers that Jesus Christ is the one you've been looking for. 
And I want to invite you just to open your heart and life to him and say, Jesus, come in. Forgive me of my sins. I place my faith in, in, in your blood shed on the cross. May it cleanse me. May it give me that new life, that eternal life that you promise. Jesus, I want you to be King of kings and Lord of lords in my life. Maybe you've been a believer. Maybe you've been a believer for years, and yet there's still a spiritual hunger. Maybe there's even a sense of fear as you see the trouble and the chaos unfolding in our day. I would pray that you would just let Christ increase your faith. That as you see the, the, the Christ of Revelation, that you would realize that you have no need for fear. You have, a, you have a great opportunity for faith. And that you would put your faith and trust in Him. And that you would worship Him because He is worthy. God, we thank you so much for your love for us and the wonderful plan you have for us. God, help us to trust in you, find our rest in you every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.